Welcome to St. Ega First Church of the Nazarene. My name is Matt Wilson. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And this is our contemplative Sunday morning service. Uh, we, as a part of our church DNA, we try to embody all the different streams of Christian tradition. And so this Sunday in particular, we try to set aside time to be a little bit more contemplative. So there's going to be a little bit more prayer. There's going to be more... Uh, um, congregational worship, and I hope you're looking forward to that. Uh, as always, uh, we have a way for you to check in and, and let us know that you are in attendance this morning. There is a QR code above my head and also in your bulletins. You can use your smartphone to hover over that, and we'll come up a little Google form, and you can let us know that you're here. If you have prayer requests, this is a great way for you to communicate with your church staff, anything that you uh, have going on and that you need prayer for. This upcoming Wednesday is our next season of prayer uh, time oh, in Adult U. It's Wednesday's uh, evening and it will be in the fireside area. And Rebecca Laird will be with us uh, that Wednesday, next Wednesday, um, helping us understand and use technology as a part of our prayer life. Would invite you to that uh, time together as we learn more about prayer and technology. On March 25th, that's this coming up Saturday, is our church service day. And we are going to be gathering in this um, on our campus to help pack hygiene kits for uh, Loaves and Fishes. Loaves and Fishes is an organization in Ocean Beach that helps serve and feed um, our unsheltered population. And uh, we are gathering together on that Saturday just to help pack hygiene kits uh, so that they can disperse in and amongst the community. We'd love you for, to join us uh, on March 25th. Starting April 2nd, that's a Sunday, that's Palm Sunday, it begins our Holy Week celebration. We'd love for you to join us on uh, not just... Uh, April 2nd, that's a Sunday, uh, but also on April 7th in Brown Chapel for our Good Friday service, as well as our Easter Jam on that Saturday, April 8th, uh, which is starting at 1030. We're going to have uh, Easter egg hunt and a bounce house and all the things for kids, so we invite you to that. And then lastly, we have our worship service uh, on the 9th in Brown Chapel. Uh, in addition, we have a women's gathering, a women's tea, that is going to take place April 15th. That starts at 1 o'clock and will be in the Ellipse Chapel. Uh, please, please, please register ahead of time uh, so that we can get a good count of who all will be there. And I uh, hope you would be a part of that as a, just a good time for our women to fellowship together. If you have questions, you can uh, talk with Shannon Heffernan, who will be singing in our worship ensemble this morning. At this time, I would love to invite you to uh, into the practice of passing the peace in and amongst our congregation. It's something we do to not just see one another and say hi, but pass the peace of Christ between us that, that we seek to embody here in our worship services. So may the Lord be with you and pass the peace of Christ between us. Well, good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to hear the sound of fellowship in the body of Christ. On this fourth Sunday of Lent, I invite you to pay attention in our service today to the contrast between dark and light in our scripture and in our music. Let's begin by reading together the scripture that is on the screen. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, 
I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Let's join our voices together and sing. from the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We sing a song now that reflects on the Lord as our shepherd. And then from the Gospel of John, Jesus as the good shepherd. And kids, I want you to know that this song was written for children many, many years ago. So I'm hoping that you'll help me as we learn this new old song together. Let's sing. Save your like a shepherd lead us. Much we need your tender
are dismissed. Let's pray this prayer over them today. This is our prayer for you, children, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may discern what is best. May you be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Have a great children's church. I'd like to invite Becky Havens now to come and read the New Testament passage for us. Good morning. The New Testament passage comes from Ephesians chapter 5 verses 8 to 14. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Open my eyes. Let me see. Let's sing this together.
Welcome to everyone. It is a joy to be with you this morning and to be worshiping together. Privilege for me to be able to invite you into a time of prayer. Um, I do want to acknowledge just because I know that uh, there are at least a couple of people in this wonderful crowd who know that uh, I'm expecting to be a grandparent. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. That expectation has been on hold for about 10 days. We're about 10 days past due here. So um, just so you know and won't have to ask, um, they head to the hospital this afternoon. So um, we're here in the great place to be. And uh, I would certainly ask your prayers over that, which is a great reminder as we go to prayer that we bring with us our life. We don't come into this space void of all that happened yesterday and the day before and all the anticipation of tomorrow. We come with all of that, bring it right into this place. We don't leave it at the door. And what a great place to unpack it in prayer. And so I'm going to invite us as we pray. There will be a couple things that take place. We're going to have just a brief musical interlude that allows our hearts to kind of focus our bodies to let go of some of the tension that we bring with us. After that, we'll have a few moments of silence. And I want to guarantee you it won't be perfectly quiet. You'll hear noises of some sort. You might even be one who coughs or sneezes. That's okay. It's not about the world becoming quiet. It's about us becoming quiet for a few moments. I'll lead us in prayer, and then we'll close together in the Lord's Prayer. So, Let's enter into this time and allow God to bring to mind the things that we might want to say thank you, Lord, for, followed by the things we might want to say, oh, Lord, please help, followed by maybe some prayers for the people who sit beside you, behind you, in front of you, that we might be praying for one another in these times together. Let's pray and sing together. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. But 
Lord, we ask what we sometimes assume. Will you lend an ear this way? Will you hear our thanks and gratitude for your love, your protection, your care? Thank you for provisions, for ways in which we are brought to understand our life's journey in the world in which we live in a new, fresh way, an invitation to see with new eyes and hear with new ears. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the many things that miss our eyesight, ways in which you have protected and graced us with your presence. Likewise, Lord, you've provided an invitation, an open door to bring our petitions to you, to let you know of our needs. And so in these moments, the bags open up and we pull out the anxiety, the tension, the uncertainty. We bring out the physical needs, the circumstances that seem daunting, not knowing how you might work, but really praying in this moment just that your presence be evident. The assurance, Lord, that we're not alone, that you dwell in the midst of the community of faith, and so we pray for one another, for the person that came in with us or maybe the person that just sat down beside us or down the row, the person in front, behind, will you bless them? Watch over their journey. Help them to know that we care and are praying for their best. Lord, we long to learn more about you and somehow through that learning more about ourselves. And Lord, maybe something about this morning time of reflection, the quiet, the silence, the discomfort, maybe we learn more about ourselves, and may that lead to knowing more about you. And so, Lord, into that space, we offer a prayer that we've heard, prayed for many of us so many times. For others, maybe this is the first time, but for all of us, May it feel as fresh as the first time, praying the prayer that your disciples have prayed for century. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Judy and Shannon are going to sing a song for us right now. And I hope that we can all reflect on these words and how they relate to the John chapter 9 that we're going to read together right after this.
I, uh, for those of you that are guests, I didn't introduce myself earlier. My name's Dee. I'm one of the pastors here. And you picked a wonderful Sunday to be here if you are a guest. Because I'm just going to rope you into being part of this next part of the service. I'm not going to single you out because I'm asking everybody to participate. Not in a, another song, but in a drama presentation. A reader's play, if you will. So you can all go home and say, yeah, there was a lot of drama in the service this morning, and uh, I was part of it. And so we have um, an opportunity to dig in a little bit deeper into the scripture reading for this morning, which is John chapter 9. The reading actually is the entire chapter. We thought that as sometimes when it's an extra long passage that we might just take an ex excerpt, but... It seems so appropriate to draw us all into this moment and participate in reading this together, in particular parts, which I'll explain. But I would also entice you into that by saying there are at least some who think John wrote this possibly as something to be read like a dramatic reading. Now, here is the breakdown of the parts that you are playing. I'm going to start to my far left. This group to my far left, you are the narrators of the story, which sounds pretty straightforward and pretty um, uncolorful. But that's not the case. Stephanie's going to lead you in a few moments. She's right in the middle of the midst. She's going to come up here and have a microphone and just kind of follow along with what she does, and the words will be up here. But here's what's important about the narrator, is to know who the narrator is. It's the gospel writer, John. John has 
some things that he's trying to accomplish. It's one of the reasons that all four Gospels are different. They're addressing different audiences. They are also trying to get across different things all under the umbrella of the good news. And so John has a couple things that seemingly are trying to be accomplished. I'll make reference to one of them that was in the song that we just heard. The statement, I am the light, or is a reference to light. Jesus says here one of the many I am statements, I am the light. We've heard in previous passages, he's talked about, I am the living water. He says, I am the bread of life. John presents him at the transformation of the water into wine at the wedding at Cana as the host at the great banqueting table. It's not said explicitly, but it's powerfully implied in the way this unfolds through the whole gospel. And John, it seems, is also trying to address something that is sometimes referred to as the Johannian community that finds itself more and more at odds with the traditional Jewish worshiping body to try and establish this difference, what's taking place, maybe justifying the shift away from some of the ways that were long-practiced traditions. So you have a lot that you're carrying as narrator. You are conveying so much in this passage and trying to set the framework for the drama that tells the details of the story. Now, typecasting is probably part of what takes place for this group right here. All the way to the back, this group, you're Jesus, of course. You probably recognize that when we were going into this passage, that that would be the obvious role to be played. Um, and so just be as holy as you can be. Victor is going to lead that. <laughs> so act, Victor. Try just act. Okay. Here, here's one caution as you're trying to move into the character, and I, I want you to just try and step into it and the words that are there. There is a part early on in this scene where Jesus spits. Don't do that. Just assume that we'll read it into this narration, okay? Don't even cough up any, nothing. Just let us infer into the text. So, thank you. I think we've got a great group for that. Okay, here, and Judy's going to help with this group. And it's well marked up here. You'll just see it in bold. Pharisees. Oh, <laughs> just like you're welcoming that opportunity. <laughs> Yeah, that fits me. So I, I, I want to give you kind of your, your motivation here. Um, there are a couple things about the Pharisees that I want you to hold. One is that present day, we often view them as villains. They are simply religious leaders trying to do their best to figure out what it means to be a religious leader in the climate that they're in different than our climate today, not weather climate, but cultural climate, different than what it was before their ancestors. And it's not easy. They get a bum rap for things that they probably ought to get a bum rap for, which I'll mention, you'll hold that as well. But, but there is this honest effort to try and hold on to a very valued and important tradition. That's you. So there is... In the midst of this, some level of, I'm perplexed. The Jesus figure becomes confusing to the Pharisees. But they are also fixated. We'll come back to this a little bit later. But they're fixated on sin. Defining it, identifying it, ferreting out. So I might encourage you, or all of you, anytime the word sin comes up in the... Uh, um, dialogue, just give it a little extra punch, because that's part of what this is about in this chapter. Okay, now this group right here, you are the person who um, is born without sight, and Jesus comes to this person and gives them their sight. In this passage, there is no reference to the person's name, just referenced the man. 
And your opening line is really important. And while I'm working with this group, you can work on this opening line because it carries a lot of weight and you need to determine how to deliver it because there are so many different ways. The opening line for you is, I am the man, okay? So it could be, I am the man, or I am the man, or I am the man, or I am the man. So you decide, not collectively, just however that mixes up, we'll get all of those renditions. But it's an important line. Um, Carl is going to lead from down here, so you can watch Carl and uh, follow along with him. This group over here, I hope at the end of all of this, you get the Oscar for Best Supporting Cast for a Short Drama with Multiple Characters. So, limited category, but I think you might get that. So, Shannon's going to be the one that kind of uh, leads in as you follow along, because you're playing three parts. The opening part is the disciples, only one line for the disciples, but it starts this whole dialogue, so it's an important one. After that, you're going to um, play the neighbors of the person who has sight restored. The neighbors, busybody neighbors. That's why it just seems like a perfect fit, just You can even, somebody, if one or two of you want to do that while the line's being delivered, that's okay. The busybody neighbors trying to kind of interject themselves into something that's going on that you just want to say, yeah, pass on by. There's nothing here. But no, the neighbors are there. Finally, though, you get to play the part of the parents. When you play the part of the parents, please know that these parents are a bit intimidated. Intimidated because they know what might happen to them if they say things incorrectly. So be apprehensive. And while you're concentrating on your stuff, please listen to the storyline and enjoy it. My other two readers, come on forward. And I'm actually just going to enjoy it with you. So the first line that will come up, and Stephanie, when you're ready, give the nod and let your crew join in. As he walked along, Jesus saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam. Then he went and washed and came back able to see the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, It is he. Others were saying, No, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. <laughs> then how were your eyes opened? The man called Jesus, made mud, spread it on my eyes, and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. Where is he? I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. He said to them, He put mud on my eyes, then I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, 
This man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is that he now sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind, and they said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? <laughs> you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. Here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. You were born entirely in sins, and are you trying to teach us? And they drove him out. Jesus heard that they had driven him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And who is he, sir? Tell me, that I may believe in him. You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. Lord, I believe. I came into this world for judgment so that those who did not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not blind, are we? If you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say, we see, your sin remains. And seen. <laughs> Thank you all. What a wonderful reading. I hope you picked up on some of the interesting nuances that were there. One of those is that Jesus seems to disappear from the storyline telling for quite some time. There were, you just sat and sat and sat and sat, and where's my part? I think it was what I overheard some of you whisper to each other. Um, but Jesus is present near the beginning toward the end there are some who think that the person the man represents also in some ways the messianic trajectory of jesus's earthly ministry that there are those who reject and question again and then put him out and do not listen that there are pieces of that storytelling that actually tell what is taking place 
in Jesus' life as well. But one of the powerful pieces of this, and one of the reasons why I set it up this way, as Jesus is interacting with the group that is depicting the man, that they are talking over and through the Pharisees. We find the Pharisees taking center stage in some ways, right in the middle of this storyline. We find the Pharisees listening in when we think it's just a private conversation between Jesus and the man at the end. They caught just enough to say, what? what? Hold on. You calling us, us blind? We're not. Are we? It's like this little nervousness. I don't think. I think I can take a stand here. So it raises the question that is the title of what this has been for me. And who is it that really needs healing? Is it not simply that there is this storyline that leads us to where the focus of this healing that needs to take place? In, fa in fact, it appears through this storyline that the person who is having their sight restored has been able to see all along far better than anyone else. It invites us in some ways to sit in the middle between the conversation that's going on over and through us. And to ask, what is it that this is attempting to depict? The places in our life that we don't see very well. And what is it that we don't see? Well, it's depicted in this particular passage from beginning to end. From the first question that the disciples asked, which is, who sinned? Was it this guy or was it his parents? Well, that's like a trap question. Are those the only two choices? Because that's how it's set up. Like, this is all you have in terms of options. And Jesus really doesn't take the bait at all. It reminds me of the story um, of, of the, the Good Samaritan, where the question really is asked, who's my neighbor? And Jesus responds by saying, you're asking the wrong question. It's who's acting neighborly. That's the question that you should be asking about the story. Because it really doesn't matter the other side of that. Because if I'm acting neighborly, if that begins to be my constitution, then it doesn't matter who comes across my pathway. My constitution leads me to a place of neighborliness, of kindness, of compassion. And so here we have a question that has that same kind of an effect. Help us here. Who was it that sinned? Let's settle this. Let's call them out. Was it the man? Was it his parents? Jesus says, please, think about this. That's not the question. There's no causation effect here. Let's watch and see how God might use this to begin to change your thinking, your mind, your ways of entering into the world. The Pharisees come on stage, and they seem fixated by a number of things that all center around who can, who can't, who is, who isn't. Who is it that is the sinner, who's not the sinner? I mean, they are throwing the sin moniker onto everyone. They call out the man who was healed as being born full of sin, born in the midst of sin. That's their response when they didn't have a good answer for him. Who are you? We all know. Sin has to surround you completely. What's the story of Jesus, though? Jesus, as he's walking, sees somebody. Doesn't ask background. Doesn't ask for a resume. Doesn't look at any social or spiritual list of accomplishments. 
there's no buildup to this. There's, there's nothing that shows any merit of any kind. It's Jesus whose constitution is love. I'm so grateful that that's how Jesus meets me. That's the story here. You've asked the wrong question. And it's almost as if Jesus at the end is going, Oh, Pharisees, I do this, not because it's you specifically. I'm, it's this. I'm in this group. Oh, would you not maybe look at the world a different way? I mean, they're convinced that Jesus is a sinner because he healed on the Sabbath. It's as if they have forgotten that the law was given to point toward God. To the point where the law becomes God. It's a type of idolatry that is so hard to see in oneself because it holds so tenaciously to that religious good that has a good purpose, but to miss the purpose. And that is to point the way. The one comes who fulfills every jot and tittle of the law, every piece, every crossing of a T, every dot over an I, everything fulfilled in Jesus so that we might be set free. And in that place, Jesus meets us. Not that we have achieved that place. He meets us because Jesus has created that place. That place where the law has been fulfilled. And I just want to enter into your life's journey, Jesus says. Now, let's see. Maybe I can offer this. That the conversation might be perpetuated. That God might be glorified. Let me rub some stuff on your eyes. Just go wash in the pool. See where God takes this. And the fixation becomes so strong that they miss the moment. The closing of this passage seems in some ways a bit cryptic. It talks about having come those that don't see may see, those that see won't see. And the language, it kind of leaves us going, what? Help me here, Lord. It feels to me that the way this powerful chapter ends is an indictment of the posture of I know. I know that I know that I know. I know how it works. I know who's in. I know who's out. I know. I know because I've read all of the things that tell me what I know. And it feels to me like Jesus once again invites us into the unknowing. Because unknowing leads to trust. And trust puts us in the hands of our Savior. If I don't need to trust why do I need a savior? And here we have this invitation to one that is being used in a powerful, eternal, God-inspired way to help us learn the Pharisees still picking apart. Are you saying we don't see this? What don't we see? Oh, that you might step to the place of unknowing and trust. I, I know that the table of grace is first and foremost that. It's an invitation to a place where you're met, right where your story is. And Jesus steps into it. 
And miraculously, no explanation for this, he invites you to the table. All who would want to be part of that journey of trust, not the journey where I know and have figured it out, just a journey of, oh, yeah, be wonderful to be invited. I'd love to be invited. And Jesus says, great. It's also a table of unknowing. I don't know all that it means for my future. I don't know all that's to come. I don't even know, to be honest, all of the implications. And Jesus says, and that's why you're invited to the table. It talks about trust. To step into the unknown and say, okay, Lord, I am beginning to realize I'm not sufficient. I don't have adequate resources. I haven't figured it all out. There are some things that seem insurmountable. You still want me at the table? Yeah. Because it's the table of grace and the table of unknowing and the table of trust. And so I invite you to the place that Jesus has prepared for us. The light of the world has come to dwell with us, lightens our path, offers the, uh, the ability to see where we previously thought we could not. Christ invites us to look again, to understand anew God's work in us. You are invited. You're invited to come to the table, Christ's table, which he has prepared for us. The mystery, the goodness, the forgiveness available here. That we set aside our own knowledge, our own agendas, our own expectations for how God should work and live into a life marked by forgiveness and love. Here at San Diego First Church, we practice open communion. Our servers will be down here at the front. There will be uh, communion in the plates, and you will receive from the Lord's table. If you would like a gluten-free option, there, that is there as well. But this table, that is Christ's table, is for those who love God and want to love even more. For those who have much faith and those who feel like they lack faith. The table is open to those who frequent this table, who hear all the time, and for those who may feel like they haven't been in some time. This table is for those who follow after Christ and for those who feel like as if they have failed in their following. As the servers come forward now, reflect, know that Christ's table is open for you.
on the night that Christ was betrayed. He took uh, a rather ordinary loaf of bread. And he gave it to his disciples, having blessed it and broken it. He gave it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body broken for you. Eat in remembrance of me. Let us eat. Later on in the evening, Christ took a cup and he passed it amongst his disciples. He said, this is my blood shed for you, which is the sign of the forgiveness of sins. Drink in remembrance of me. This is the mystery of faith, that Christ has come, Christ is with us, and Christ will come again. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we, we offer you our whole selves, that you might take our weaknesses, our struggles, our pains, that you might take all of them up and transform them into your glory. That although we might be going through some of the darkest nights, that you would light our way. That in the midst of unknown and unforeseen circumstances, that your forgiveness and your love would guide us. That we might put aside what we think we know to be true for a knowledge of you, the truth. And that all that we do and all that we say and all the spaces in which we inhabit, that we might reflect you in the world. So guide us, Lord. Shape us and transform us into your very image, that we might truly be your body, your people in the world. We pray this all in your name. Amen. This is our benediction this morning. But before I get to that, as a reminder, we'd love for you to help us stack some chairs, put up some carpet and stack it together if you have a chance. Obviously, go get your kids if you are, uh, have them in kids, uh, children's church. But this is our benediction this morning. That the Lord of grace and mercy would shine upon us, guiding us each footstep into what he might have for us. Not just today, but for tomorrow and the weeks ahead. Go in God's grace and mercy.